John Nelson, and you are listening to the Starting Block Podcast. This is a show for complete, holistic athletic development. Our objective is to give you the tools to win, whether you're the athlete, the parent, or the coach. And that covers everything. Our show is going to give you the tools, whether it's the training side of it, the rehab, the neuro side of it, the nutrition side of it. We cover all that. Now, if you're new to the show, welcome. Appreciate you joining. Here's how we operate. We are a little different than your standard podcast. We have multiple shows within the show. What does that mean? Well, we have three types of shows you'll hear. First one is going to be a Q&A. That's where myself, my co-host, Chris Scarborough. Good morning, sir. Good morning. That is where Chris and I will take the questions y'all submit to us and we'll answer them. You can submit those questions to info at startingblockpodcast.com. So those are uh, Q&A questions. So um, training, performance, rehab, any of that type of stuff, we'll tackle it. The second episode you'll hear from us is a guest interview. That is exactly what it sounds like. That's like every other podcast on the planet. We're going to bring in our colleagues and friends from across the pond next door. They're going to share their secrets of success, their tools that they use to win with their clients, their patients, their athletes. And we've got such a great guest list over the last year i've said it a couple times but our guest list is top notch and i really think that if you guys don't want to listen to chris and i you know babble on about whatever (laughs) then i'd encourage you to check out the guest interviews because you're probably not going to find a better show um out there with a better guest list like ours so pretty pretty proud of that absolutely That's our guest interview, and then the final episode is going to be more like a quarterly episode. That's a solo episode on my end. That's going to be 10 to 20 minutes of me brain dumping on you, talking to you a little bit about something that I have seen happen in our market or in the industry, something uh, maybe that I saw from the wellness side of stuff, training, business motivational, just something like that, because I know we got a lot of coaches that listen to this, and I think it's important that we all work together and that we share our experiences, and that's how we grow and improve. So that is the Friday Fire. In fact, that's how our show operates. We also have a fee that we ask you guys to pay your dues we do this for free all this comes out of our pocket we have no advertising or anything like that so all we do is just ask that you share the show if you got value of it out of the episode just bring us a friend subscribe please that's all we ask um that doesn't necessarily mean just share on social that's great don't get me wrong we love that but send the link to somebody give it to a client give it to a patient send our guest interview to one of your clients. Just help us grow and help us spread this message. That's all we ask. That uh, should wrap up all the housekeeping, Chris. I think we're good, yeah? I think that's good. Cool. Okay. All right. Well, Q&A, let's get to it. What What do we have today? Okay, so let's let's kind of set the stage for the first question. Um, and I, I think this is primarily regarding strength training. But should you always learn a technique of a new exercise and perform it slowly? Okay. So, in other words, you know, should you learn how to, you know, let's get that correct movement. Let's get the, you know, let's learn that very, you know, specific movement, say if a bench press or a squat or whatever. Um, should you always do it slowly and build a strength base before you start developing explosiveness and that sort of thing? I think it's a good question. What do you think? I want to hear your input first. Okay. Well, yeah, it depends on the exercise. 
And I would give you two examples. If I'm teaching someone how to perform a barbell squat, a, and they've never done one before, yeah, we'll probably put a bar on their back that's lighter, um, maybe even a, a PVC pipe or a broomstick or something like that, and then and get them to understand what the movement feels like. Absolutely. Perform it very slowly, develop control, yes. However, <laughs> let's put it on the opposite end of the spectrum. Let's say you jump and land, which most kids are going to do to some degree, you know, when they're way before they ever learn how to do a squat. And, you know, if you jump up in the air, gravity is going to pull you down at the same rate, <laughs> you know, and it, 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 it does not care <laughs> if you're a beginner or not. As soon as you can jump, you have to then land it. So those are by nature, you cannot do slowly. Right, you have to. Gravity's yeah. going to pull you down at the exact same rate. So, so much of it just depends, John. I mean, and and you know, not not by by no means am I giving away like all of Jay Schroeder's stuff, but we all know that Jay is very well known for ISO extremes, which is true. But he's also very well known for for uh, altitude drops and and rebounds, which are done at altitude drops are just what they say. You. You start at altitude and then you drop off of an altitude or an elevated surface. Well, you drop off that elevated surface, you're going to fall with whatever, you know. If, if you're on a high box, you're going to be hitting the ground pretty fast, right? So there is no, um, you know, slow learning curve. You've got to catch yourself. Some, so that all that to say... Yes, if it's a lift of some sort with a bar with some external resistance, yet we're probably going to teach them how to move it slowly to begin with. But some things just don't lend themselves to that. Altitude drops being one, rebounds, you know, as, as Jay would call them, would, would do that. And also some of his other exercises that, that the resistance is a towel or say, which John, I've seen some of your videos, like where you're doing like a ball drop or, or something like that or a small, a light dumbbell. Well, those aren't heavy. You might only use a one-pound dumbbell or a half-pound. We use like a little weighted, little small weighted medicine ball. Well, they only may weigh. They might weigh three quarters of a pound, but they're going to be moving very fast. And there's really no way to do those slowly and get much benefit out of them. You know. That said, are they dangerous? No. Just because they're done fast? No. Um, they're done for very high repetitions and at very high speeds. So. I think that the ultimate answer to that question is it depends. <laughs> what are you? What exercise are we talking about? Sure. No, I, I don't disagree at all. The main lifts, bench, squat, deadlift. I don't do Olympic lifting, but the main lifts. I think that's pretty obvious. You need to start slow. You need to start progressions because you got to learn technique because you are under load or the athlete is under some type of load that external load not just like a gravity it's an external load that could hurt them of course so and i do the same thing when we do before we start deadlifting we do learn how to do dowel drills when we start box squatting we start real light we start slow so yes those are all natural progressions i think and i think that's just common sense i still see people putting just putting 135 on the bar uh, and teaching a kid how to squat. And I still don't understand why you would do that. 
especially when they're when they're young, seventh, eighth grade, something like that. But sure. so common sense. I think any of the coaches or anybody listening to this show understand that. Where I think the question is is more interesting is how it relates to rebounds or reflexive work, like you were talking about. You can't really alter gravity, I guess. I mean, I guess maybe you can. I don't know, based on box height. But right, right. How how you perform that exercise is very interesting. And I think about a case I just had this past week with a. Uh, I think she was probably thirteen or fourteen. She's a soccer player. She's been in my system for a little while, mm-hmm. but we were doing like a rebound bent over dumbbell row, and what I noticed was she couldn't. She, the position just didn't even register with her, which I thought was interesting because we we have done basic strength stuff like some rows because I still believe, regardless of whatever people think about ISO's rebound, I still think there's a benefit to getting strong with a bar or dumbbells, especially at that age a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's not the main part of their program, but it's definitely beneficial. Mm-hmm. She'd already done rows, but when we tried to speed this up, she couldn't figure it out. Like the back was rounding elbow flying out the whole concept of the exercise broke down so i actually alternated between heavy and light to see did that vary because i've actually seen people or heard people say like train something like a reflexive or a rebound actually heavy first and then go light Mm -hmm. i think we've talked about that before so i think that's where it gets kind of interesting what what do you think on, on that perspective like with this particular girl how would you have approached that? Would you have tried to go a little not I'm not talking max, I'm talking maybe like a fifty percent type of weight and just had her mm-hmm. drop and catch or go lighter to that one or two pound and try to actually get the technique? Yeah, that's a good point. Um especially with a very specific example like that. And you know, without knowing her, I mean, clearly I don't I, I can't answer that that question specifically without, you know, saying <laughs> clearly we're gonna be we're gonna have a little trial and error here, right? Um that said, I'd probably start with, uh, I'd probably break that part down. Okay, she's rounding a little bit. Okay, maybe she could do the altitude part, but she starts messing up when she pulls the weight back. So let, let me just make sure, John, that I got, got the right picture. She's got the bar up, so she's basically got, got like her hand by her dumbbell. cage. She's yeah, got dumbbell a dumbbell. Yeah, she's in a, you know, kind of a split squat stance, hinged over. I, yep. try, I try to coach keep the chest fairly or as close to parallel to the floor as possible. Yep. Using the uh, using the non-working hand to support yourself on that knee, right? So yeah, it's in a case like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, find the position just like like you said. Try the try the altitude part. Drop it, catch it. You know, do you lose position? Well, instead of maybe dropping it, maybe just have her punch it. You know, punch it, but don't actually release the dumbbell or the ball. Um, so, you know, now, you know, she losing position, you know, well, in that case, it could be a very simple case of we we just got to do some more basics, you know, mm-hmm. just some basic, uh, you know, dumbbell row uh, or, or, you know, or barbell row, you know, just learn that position better, develop strength in that position is what it could be. But then again, it could be, uh, you know, like you said, reflexive in that, that velocity, something about that velocity, her brain does not like it. And she begins to lose position, and you know, that, that again without knowing this person, uh, that's going to be a trial and error. Might try a yeah. little bit of everything, see which one works. Yeah. So it's definitely with main lifts, of course, start slow, get technique. But then 
I want to get out of that type of mentality as quickly as possible. Sure. We've talked about squatting and why I, I why I don't use a lot of squat. I will I, I'll have our athletes box squat though. We've mm. talked about that because I know they're going to squat at school and I know parents still think that squat numbers are important. So we'll box squat to at least get some benefit out of it. But a traditional back squat, for example, I'm just not a believer in. I think it teaches the wrong p- position. It's like having it's like having your foot on the brake and the gas at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so you can you can at least learn how to do the movement at a young age, but then we go through that phase quick. We get yep. out of that. We don't even worry about the lifting side if, unless we're doing the box squat, but I still tell them to get down and get off the box quick, and then we try to get as explosive as we can because these slow, these slow patterns, these slow movements are not going to benefit the athletes in, in the long run when it comes to the lifting side of stuff. Right. Now, slow movements like extreme slow movements, yes, that is a whole different ball game. Sure. Yeah. And, and ex- you're, that, it's funny you brought that up because that's exactly what I was thinking. So anybody who's listening to this, we're not talking about the extreme slow. Okay, Correct. We're, <laughs> those we're talking are about like, your basic type of CSCS type of lift or something. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about your, you know, maybe as slow as say, uh, you know, three to five second lowering perhaps and, you know, uh, lifting it as fast as you can, the lifting part. Um, you know, yeah, we're super slow is in a category by itself. So yeah, let's take those out. But yeah, as far as a super slow lowering, I mean, excuse me, as a just just slow control movement, as a general rule, if it has significant external resistance, like a barbell, like a you know maybe a heavier dumbbell, um, yes, you're probably going to do those a little bit slower and controlled until you develop the 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 position skill. Then you start developing explosive work out of it very quickly. I totally agree. Yeah, cool. All right, good question. What's yes. our second one? All right, so John, you're you're the expert in this. Um, what is with the tape around people's ankles? <laughs> so, the by the way, the <laughs> yeah, we're not talking. By the way, guys, we're not talking about somebody has a massive like a a, a lower ankle sprain. You know, and their whole ankle is taped up or, or spatting a shoe like for a football player. We're referring to this tape that is is famous in uh, John's facility as well as several other facilities around the country. Yeah. Okay, so the tape. The tape is there to stabilize the tib-fib joint. Now, the tib-fib joint is very unique. It's one of two joints in the body designed this particular way. The tib-fib joint, the other joint's the SI joint, by the way, sacroiliac Yep. So the tib-fib joint, what makes it so unique is that there is no muscle that directly connects the joint together to stabilize it. The muscle that actually runs by the joint ties into the foot. Right. So this is very important. So that means that that joint is only stabilized by ligament-based structure. Now, that can be problematic because if you roll your ankle – and I, I tell people it doesn't even have to be severe. It could be just tripping over the curb. I did it a couple of weeks ago playing with the horses. I rolled my yep. ankle in a hole. So what happens is that creates a stretch on the ligament. And that stretch in the ligament there creates this instability. And this instability causes the joint receptors to misfire. They get confused. 
the joint receptors can't tell the brain, hey, force is coming in through the foot and the ankle when you step. We kind of touched on this in one of those episodes about the brain not understanding where the foot is. Yes, yes. Yeah, and so when the joint receptor can't tell the brain force is coming in, it's not really going to be able to tell the muscles to turn on and have that timing mechanism they need to absorb force efficiently. It's going to alter that. And that is very important because we have to have the proper timing of these muscles so they can absorb force, not only to protect and stabilize us, but in order for us to perform at our maximum capacity. Right. And so the tape compresses the joint and takes that stretch off of that ligament and allows that ligament to heal. Takes about six to eight weeks for it to heal. And that's really the foundation of what the tape does right yeah go ahead i was just gonna say as a recipient of this test i failed it once and then you know consist i had to consistently wear that tape for a period of time in which mine healed just fine i had no problems after that but it but it is interesting to see that you know again we're not talking about wrapping the whole ankle we're referring Mm -hmm. to a one piece of tape just above the ankle bone, and it basically stabilizes that whole thing because what's so interesting, John, is the whole leg can go weak. You take one step, the whole leg, it's almost like the muscles didn't all of a sudden get weaker. They lost the timing. Mm -hmm. They lost the timing mechanism that they should have, as you said, to be able to to protect. But I have seen seen them get weaker because – what excuse me i have seen them get weaker because you'll actually see like force outputs drop sure yes they can get weak but that's not that's not really what we're looking for we're looking more for that timing but yes it does impact that because it impacts how well the muscle can engage and turn on and contract and release yeah absolutely so anytime you mess up with the joint receptor anywhere again ask anybody who's had a surgery I mean, their their muscle around the joint that they had surgery on, you know, an orthopedic type surgery, it atrophies like immediately, immediately. Yeah, <laughs> and that's because you just messed up all the joint receptors. Yeah. So you know, early day yeah. reason. So. <clears throat> and so the the tib fib joint is so powerful, and there's so much that goes on. Remember, our joints are very neurologically rich; they provide a lot of information to our nervous system. And when there's alterations in that joint function, that is going to create issues up the chain. It may create issues locally, but it can create an issue up the chain as well. One tip fib weakness can be the cause of any problem in the body. I've seen people, you've talked about it before with somebody, I think with a shoulder issue Mm -hmm. and it was the opposite tip fib. That's a very common thing. Sure. I see that. <clears throat> Dang, sorry, excuse me. I see that all the time as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, inevitably, the next question that is asked is, okay, so I wear the tape. What if I tape my ankles during a sporting event? Well, I still tell you, try to wear the tape underneath it if you can. <laughs> you know, sure. and, the, and the tape, that doesn't do the same thing. Taping the ankle versus taping the tib-fib tape or tib-fib joint is not the same thing. Right. 
the joint, the tib fib joint itself, you got to understand there is just no structure there to help stabilize it. So I don't care. You could have rolled your ankle 30 years ago. I pretty much guarantee you it didn't heal the right way. And it's not something the doctors miss. And I always try to make that clear. That's not like, sure. so when you go to the doctor, the ortho, this isn't something they miss. They, this is just a different approach and evaluation to that. Right. It didn't heal, and I guarantee you it's still weak and it's still there, and it's created this compensation in the body. And maybe that resulted in muscles shutting down, and that's all of a sudden why you've got a back issue, <clears throat> right. whatever the case may be. So I still tell you try to wear the tip-fib tape if you can. I try to avoid the braces and taping of the ankles as much as possible. Mm-hmm. There are, I think, certain scenarios where it's okay. Like <laughs> I would say a football lineman is probably one of the only people that – is okay to wear ankle tape fairly regularly. Right, I mean, right. When you're going head-to-head with you know, 250, 300-pound guys every single play, it's probably okay to have those ankles taped up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, there's, there is, right. And, and yeah, we're, again, we're referring to a, a joint, a specific joint that doesn't have muscle, muscular um, support on its own. It has no none of its own muscular support. Thus, we need an outside brace, if you will, in this case of, of the, of the um, tib-fib joint taping. Mm-hmm. So, And then I th- one of the interesting questions that I get asked, too, is does my ankle mobility play a role in that? And I think that's a very interesting and intriguing question mm-hmm. because I think you could look at it as a which came first, the chicken or the egg. Maybe that was weak, and so the body locked things down. Or maybe you're already locked down and it created and it caused it to be weak. I don't really know. Right. I usually, I usually just tell people I don't have an answer for you on that. I, I don't. I don't think it does. Personally, mm-hmm. I think your lack of ankle mobility is something separate. But I don't know. I could be. I could be wrong. But right. after that, taking the tip fib joint to the next level, after it's taped, it's imperative that we actually start to re-engage those receptors. We have to retrain that joint how to actually communicate and send the proper signals up. We Because ha- if you've had that joint weak for five years and didn't even know it, you've created all these compensation patterns that don't just go away. You right. have to re-educate these things. So that's where things like altitude drops, ISOs, all that type of stuff. We'll do, we'll do cars and things as well, joint articulations. Mm-hmm taking the joint through the greatest range of motion. But I like to do a lot of drops. I like to immediately try to get somebody into, based on where they are, uh, their age and all that stuff, I like to try to get them absorbing impact as quickly as possible. Now, that may be off of like a four-inch step or something, or with an athlete, it may be off a 12-inch box, whatever. Right. But start to gradually build that back up. Sure. But, yeah, exactly. Because, you you, yeah, you want to re-engage, get, like you said, retrain let's get that thing retrained okay it's now safe but it but it's almost like it's it's safe but now it's 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 almost got like it's got to learn all over Mm -hmm. so another statement that i think is is important to note is i don't know if this is done anymore and i'm not going to name the people that do this Hmm. but i know that there are people out there that utilize electric muscle stem on that joint they test it, they put the stem on it and check it again, and then it tests strong, and they're like, ooh, it's good. No, that's not how that works. Right. What happened there is you just created a feedback loop 
that just engaged the muscle. It didn't change the actual physical property of the ligament. That is what is causing the problem, and that's what's altering right. the feedback. Sure, you can send that afferent feedback up, cool, and maybe the muscle will engage. But as soon as you take two steps, it's probably going to you know disengage just like that. So right. I encourage people, do not be fooled by that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not you're not saying don't use it. You don't you're not saying don't use stem on it. You're saying no, no, don't no. rely on stem. No, right? don't. Rely what on I'm saying is I know the there are people right. that will use stem as a is a validating point for the test. Yep. They'll test the tib fib. They'll try to show it's weak. Then they'll put the stem on it on that joint, let it run for whatever, however long it is that they want to do it. And then they retest the joint and all of a sudden it tests strong. Right. That, uh-uh. No, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. No, that's right. that's yes. a feedback loop. That's all that. That's afferent feedback that's just kind of reengaging everything. That It's a structural weakness. This is actually a structural weakness that has to heal. Yes, yes. And it can't as long as you're bearing weight on that leg without supporting that ligament or without supporting that joint specifically. Mm-hmm. You, it will just keep re-stretching. It'll keep, it'll keep re-injuring itself so to speak, even if there's no pain, it just kind of re restretches and it just can't heal like that. That's why we, ca- we have to create that. I'm going to call it an artificial ligament, an artificial external ligament is really what we're sure. doing with that tape. So, yes. Yeah. And the SI joint works in a similar manner. Right. Similar. And it's we- a little, little more complicated, but similar. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's a good question. Yeah. Cause it's I've had mine place. taped up for a couple weeks. And so I've got to ask that. Pretty often. And quite frankly, it's something that I, I tend to check fairly regularly with people but because it is so important because you may not even know that it's going on. And here's an actual – I've actually got a story here that I completely forgot about. Okay. About how it actually changes performance. So, yes, I use – we use a handheld dimometer a lot of times. You may have seen that in some of my posts. Uh, yeah. Garrett at NewFit, a lot of NewFit practitioners use it as well. Sure. So I've seen changes in force output with that tip fib being weak versus it being taped. But the story that I want to share is very, it's, it's very unique. It's very interesting is I had a pitcher. This was quite a few years ago. He, he is in the pros. I, I don't know. I think he's, I think he's in double a somewhere. I don't know. I haven't talked to him in a minute. Okay. So in high school, and you probably know who this guy is. I think you probably met him once or twice, Chris. Um, we were at our, at our old facility, but he was a left-handed pitcher. Very, very talented uh, young man. He had trained with us for quite a few years, so I I knew him very well. We were pretty close. I I knew his body. I knew what to expect. We were able to kind of manipulate and adjust things as needed and all good. So in senior year, our objective was we had to get to 95 miles an hour. That was very important for his draft stock. Okay. And we did. We we did. It, it climbed up, I think, his first outing or two. He was like 92, 93, something like that. And then, you know, popped off 95, <clears throat> which is usually how it works, at least the way that I see it. Now, that's actually a whole mm-hmm. other topic and conversation about why that happens. So he's at 95, and I, I feel like he stayed at 95 for a game or two, which is great. He just needed to touch it. That's all that mattered. You have yeah. a 95-mile-an-hour left-handed pitcher, <laughs> done. That's it. Oh, yeah, right. So it's right. a good thing. Right. But then what happened is he all of a sudden dropped. He dropped to like 89, 90, something like that. We weren't touching it anymore. And it's been, like mm-hmm. I said, probably six years now, so I don't remember the exact numbers. But I do know he dropped off. 
and I could not figure out what was going on. There was no pain. There was there was nothing. <clears throat> he he was still throwing fine. He right. just, his velo was down. Nothing changed in our training routine. Nothing changed with his school routine. Nothing changed yeah. with his throwing routine. Sleep, no, all the time. And then it just hit me one day when I was checking him. I decided, hey, let's just check this joint. And sure enough, boom, I checked that tib-fib joint on his right leg because he's a left-hand thrower, so his right leg would be his plant leg coming right. down the mound. And sure enough, that joint was weak. It was unstable. And so we taped it back up, and the very next game, we're right back there. We're right back 94-95 again. Yeah. And I thought that was really incredible to see that happen and to see how that joint can impact performance. Sure. Now, what caused that weakness? I don't know. I don't have an answer. I, I Maybe he told me and I forgot, but I don't really know if he rolled it or not. I'm not really sure. I think it can also be a neural pattern as well. The brain right. is saying, hey, I need to protect you for whatever reason, and so I'm going to weaken this area. I don't know. Maybe I'm way off there. All right. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would think, you know, in a, in a case like that, you know, your your body's going like, I, I cannot... I cannot absorb the force properly when you put enough energy in the, into the system to throw 95. I don't feel safe decelerating that. But I do feel safe decelerating 89 miles an hour, 90 miles an hour. That's what your brain does. It does everything it can do to back you off to the point where it feels safe. It no longer feels a threat. 95 is a threat. 90 is not. Guess what? You're throwing 90 today, buddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're, I'm not going to let you go to 95. So, you know, tape the, tape the joint. It feels safe again, throwing 95, and there you go. It's, uh, that's my thought. I still yeah. think it ultimately comes down to, to what do I feel safe doing? That's what I'm going to let you, let you have. So, uh, yeah. and, and by the way, s- similar story of, you know, Tib Fib. Again, you could say if that person had had an SI problem, could you see the same thing happening? Yeah. I mean, I mean in terms of the pitching result, yes. Uh, I had a very similar response to someone who had a bicep tendon issue. Same response. Loss of velocity. No pain, no, no specific injury, just loss of velocity. And guess what? You know, you fix that problem and the velocity climbs itself back up. Yeah. Yeah. And then it could go even deeper into trauma and emotions and all kinds of stuff. But oh, sure, there, there's a little teaser for next time. But yeah, there you go. In essence, there you go. That's what that's what the ankle tape's about. Right, right. <laughs> all right, those are good questions. Yes, good stuff. Appreciate you guys asking those. And so that's going to wrap it up for us, guys. Remember, pay your dues, share the show. If you got some value out of this, bring us a friend. Appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Talk to you soon. <laughs>